Hey, everybody, this is Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and you're listening to another wrestling podcast. <laughs> Hulkamaniacs, it's Thanksgiving night, and this is the happiest time of year for all the maniacs, brother. You know, me and all my little hulksters, we got a lot of things to be thankful for. Number one, we're thankful for being happy and very healthy. We're thankful for having time to share with our loved ones. We're also thankful that Hulkamania is still the strongest force in the universe. And after the turkey's done, after the blessings are all done, I can tell you what the hulksters mostly happy about. It's Survivor Series time. And I'm thankful for my team of Hulkamaniacs. I'm thankful for having Damien and the DDT. You know what we're thankful for? We don't have to fight each other! Oh yeah, I am thankful that I am the only man worthy of being the Macho King. Yeah, I'm thankful for the privilege of living right here in the good old US of A, tough guy. I'm thankful I've got that big earthquake on my side. <laughs> what I'm thankful for for Thanksgiving for my polka dots. I'm thankful for the justice I serve. I'm thankful for wrestling, cutting, and strutting. I'm thankful for my good looks. I'm thankful for having the most ravishing body in the WWF. I'm thankful because I ain't Ricky Rude. I am thankful for being the world's smartest man. I'm thankful for being absolutely perfect. Yeah, we're thankful for having started stuffing in our turkey tonight! I'm thankful for spending Thanksgiving with all the members of the Heenan family. Thanksgiving every day, but especially this day, as the Warriors give me the intention to deliver the power at Survivor Series, it is going to be a war! I'm thankful because I'm rich, and you're not. <laughs> it's time for uh, another wrestling podcast with your hosts, Steve Credo and Jonathan Benjamin. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 25 on another wrestling podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Benjamin. With me, as always, is... Steve Credo, ladies and gentlemen. That's right, Steve Credo. Today, I thought that, you know, Steve, we've done 25 episodes now, and uh, it's that special time of year where we like to give thanks. Um, This is our Thanksgiving show. That's right. do you have anything that you're thankful for? I am huh? thankful. Huh? Huh? <laughs> I'm thankful for pro wrestling because without that, uh-huh. Jonathan, we probably wouldn't even have a show right now. We would just be talking back and forth with nobody. Anything else? <laughs> I'm thankful for Jonathan Benjamin, my, <laughs> my co-host, my partner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful for professional wrestling. I'm also thankful for all the fans out there that are listening to us today and uh in the future so if you get this you know next thanksgiving uh thank you for listening to this as well so uh we have an amazing show today uh steve 
Yeah, uh, yeah, Jonathan. Everybody has a price, even on Thanksgiving, Jonathan. Even on Thanksgiving. We're going to be joined by, in a little bit, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And we're going to be talking to him about a little bit about his family, the history of the DiBiases, what he's thankful for, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. The million-dollar man will be on shortly. Now, I have to just kind of ask you a few things real quick. We have we here at another wrestling podcast have had up until this point twenty four amazing shows. Um, now, not I don't want to put you on the hot seat, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. Which guest have you been most thankful for so far? Wow, what a loaded question! He says, uh, "What guest am I most thankful for?" I mean, you're right. There's been a lot of guests, a lot of fa- favorites. Man, the most thankful for. I mean, 24 episodes. I got to look back on 24 episodes of uh, who I was thankful for. Uh, well, you know what? I think he's probably listening. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, Mr. Joel Gertner. I'm thankful for Joel Gertner for helping us out on episode 15 because while you were away doing uh, AWP related, uh, you know, stuff somewhere else, I had the pleasure to have Joel Gertner sit with me on episode 15, the first live show we did at a convention, uh, you know, sitting with me, talking to me, talking to me about the history of ECW, talking to me about his past, how he got there, all that other stuff, uh, you know, just to be, you know, just to sit side by side, you know, the usual phone call, I would say. Uh, You know, it it was good to have him there, live and in person with us, joining us, as we're going to be, you know, doing a lot more often pretty soon. But uh, Joel Gertner... I was thankful for episode 15. That's that's a great episode. But not only was Joel on it, you know, we also had Velvet Sky, Big Zeke, Ezekiel Jackson, and Bobby Lashley, who was the TNA champion at the time. But that's that's just if you want to go back into the archives. Uh, that's what I'm thankful for. But Jonathan, what guests were you thankful for? You know, I I'm really I really like each and every one of our our guests that we've had. But to be honest, I'm very thankful for somebody that is not – I don't want to say he's an unknown, but I think that his best days are still ahead of him. And I'm thankful for the episode that we did with none other than uh, Evan Bourne and Mike Bennett. I think that Mike Bennett has got a very bright future, and uh, I look forward to talking to him more in, in the coming year. Yeah, Jonathan. I mean, a lot of guests we have. We're thankful, honestly, for everybody who's joined us through, throughout this year. Uh, but, you know, we just like to tip the hat to, to some of the other guys, some of the most recent ones and some of the ones we enjoyed. We enjoyed them all, though. Let's not lie. I mean, you know, you're going to give us one to pick. That's We're going to pick one. So what else you want from us? Come on, right? Yeah. Um, t- today is uh, something special. You uh, kind of mentioned it earlier. We are going to kind of talk about Family, uh, that's what you do at Thanksgiving. You start to get together. Everybody's having having fam- family over. You're probably watching some wrestling. Ugh. The gobbledygooker is probably on your, your network as we speak. So we did this earlier with another guest, which was Lanny Poffo. We kind of gave a little back history on the Poffo family. But yep. today we thought it would be a good idea to talk about the DiBiases. So, uh, Credo, you know, what did you what did you find for us on the the DiBiase family? Yeah, well, just first of all, let's talk a little bit about Ted before we mention anybody else. I mean, everybody knows Ted DiBiase, uh, well, senior as the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. You know, he's he's done it all. He is well, he's done it all and then some. You know what I mean? Uh, he was in the WWE, the WWF. If you grew up watching wrestling like us. Um, 
you know, the million dollar man. Everybody had a price and well, they were going to pay Jonathan, you know. He was the first WWF North American heavyweight champion. Did you know that? Uh he was a three-time WWF tag team champion with IRS and the 1988 King of the Ring. He also, as everybody knows, created his own championship, the Million Dollar Championship. But you know, he, he was more he was more to us well, here's what I want to really say. I think he was the first guy that really didn't break the kayfabe. You know what I'm saying? This guy traveled to each show in limousines. You know, he had first-class tickets to wherever he went, and that was all just to keep up with his character. You know what I'm saying? So if you saw the Million Dollar Man traveling in between shows, well, guess what? He was really traveling, styling and profiling, wheeling and dealing, not like the Nature Boy, but, you know, he was the million-dollar man, Jonathan. Uh, Just a few accolades of what I mentioned, some of the championships. He even held the WWF championship belt in 1988 after purchasing it from Andre the Giant, which was by far one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, You know, not even winning it, he just bought it. it. Because why? He's the million-dollar man. Uh, Jonathan, though, anything else? Uh, Ted DiBiase that stood out with you growing up? Because, I mean, you know... He had some title wins. He bought a title. Uh, you know, he stuffed money down people's throats. He, he would bring up kids on stage and, you know, make them lose a bet. And uh, how, how bigger of a heel could you be than, you know, slapping basketballs out of kids' hands and, uh, you know, betting them 100 bucks or something that they could do it? Yeah, I think that one of the greatest things that was – I mean, for me, one of the greatest things about Ted DiBiase was that you looked at the people that were in the WWF back then. You looked at your Hulk Hogan's, your Sergeant Slaughter's, your Andre the Giant's, um, any of the Ultimate Warriors. All those people seemed larger than life to me. They seemed like they were uh, like superhuman. But Ted DiBiase for me was one of the first people that I saw that was just like another person, but he was wealthy beyond his means. So. Um, he wasn't jacked, you know. He he had a good physique, but he wasn't like as ripped as the Ultimate Warrior or Ravishing Record or anything. But I think that probably probably kind of narrowed it down to me and thought, you know, I obviously didn't do it, but like, hey, I can do something like this because he's a normal person too. So I think that was a you know a crazy thing. But then I remember, and I don't know if you know this or not, but um, there was a young fan that came up to do you know some of that stuff for money and it ended up being none other than rob van dam i don't know if you remember that i did not know that i have to look that up that's pretty funny yeah it's it's pretty awesome um you know the one thing that sticks out too that you have to talk about if you're talking about million dollar man ted dibiase is virgil um virgil was his i mean i i have to say what he was he was like his manservant yeah that's exactly what he was (laughs) yeah i mean they they, you know, kind of made it look like he was his bodyguard, but he was, you know, like a butler, I would guess, maybe kind of butler. Like rubbed, he rubbed his feet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, manservant. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, Virgil was a, a great character. Um, anybody who's listening to this knows the some of the amazing stories of Virgil. But um, so yeah, I think that Teddy Biasi brought a different element than what we are used to because he brought the money aspect into it. He, if he wanted to buy off a referee, he could. If he wanted to buy a championship, he could. And, you know, obviously the coolest thing about it, like you said, was the, the kayfabe um, aspect of it where he was literally flying first class everywhere. He was getting chauffeured around. He was getting to eat 
the best restaurants and I think that that's kind of the way that Vince McMahon saw himself yeah. and kind of put a lot of that into the character. So, sure, and uh, you know, he did a lot of wrestling and stuff. You, uh, but with that, when he kind of you know semi-retired wrestling, you know, he started managing. Uh, he had his own little stable, the Million Dollar Corporation. You know, he had. Uh, who do you have in there? He had IRS, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Tatanka, Tatanka, King Kong Bundy, Psych. Uh, I think I said Psycho Sid. Um, you know, a bunch of people. But more importantly, Jonathan, do you know who else he managed? I know you know. I just it's my little segue, I guess. Yeah, um, I think the person you're thinking of is none other than the Ringmaster. Who went on to become none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin? That's right, and uh, you know, granted, you know, maybe he didn't give him that much of a rub from his character, you know, because by putting him with the heel manager, maybe Steve Austin would get some of that heel heat from him. But uh, you know, it, honestly, Steve Austin blew up after that, you know, with the King of the Ring when he had his little famous three sixteen speech. But you know, he still was brought in by Ted DiBiase and. Speaking of being brought in by Ted DiBiase, who else do you want to mention, Jonathan? Well, um, since it is Survivor Series time of year, uh, 1990 Survivor Series, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase introduced the world to none other than – he was – if you watch the pay-per-view, you will hear that they say, introducing Kane the Undertaker. That's right. That's what they called him. They called him Kane the Undertaker, and he would just go on to become the Undertaker, but – uh, Million Dollar Man brought him in, and that was, you know, he right there. He brought in two of the greatest uh, wrestlers of the modern era. That's right, and uh, I mean, he had a great career in WWE alone, uh, just from the accolades that we've mentioned, uh, from his heel antics, from you know, giving, trying to give money away, and then you know, making the people never win it, uh, managing two of the greatest superstars ever to be in the WWE ring, uh, but also. Just this little more history of uh, the Million Dollar Man. You know, when he went to WCW, did you know he was the fourth member of the NWO? I don't remember that. I I remember he was in the NWO, but I didn't realize he was the fourth member of the NWO. Yeah. After uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and uh, Hollywood Hogan. Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty great too because of the whole legality situation. They couldn't just call him like Million Dollar Man, obviously. So they referred to him as Trillion trillionaire ted um which was you know the whole thing they were going on with like billionaire ted at the time so uh they did that and that if i'm if i'm not mistaken they actually said that he was financing the nwo so i think that's where when they brought him in he was kind of a manager but he was also uh saying that he was financing the nwo so yeah, just a little fun fact out there if you're listening. You know, the, you know everybody knows the NWO, but you're like, oh yeah, it was Hall, Nash, Hogan, and then who else? You know, a little fun fact, I guess, if you guys are playing uh, wrestling trivia. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, accolades in the business. Uh, but Jonathan, what else? What else about his family? Because we are talking about the DiBiases. Anything you could tell the fans listening out there now that who might not even know some of the some of the the history behind the DiBiase name? Yeah, I mean his. Uh, mother was named Helen Hind, and she was an actress. She was a model, and then I guess what they said back then is once you became like a model, if you got kicked out of the modeling because it was the 40s and 50s, apparently it was kind of a rough time for models. So once you got kicked out, you could go be a valet, and it, this was like widely known that you could do that. So she became a valet and. 
then she started to wrestle and apparently she was wrestling pretty good she was going up against the likes of the fabulous moolah and and others and then she started to become pretty popular and actually caught the eye of a gentleman named iron mike dibiase so iron mike and helen hild got married and he iron mike adopted million dollar man ted dibiase Um, But one of the crazy things, and you know, you hear about this sort of thing happening, but Iron Mike DiBiase, Ted's adopted dad, actually died during a match um, July 2nd, 1969. And um, Harley Race actually ran out to the ring. He he suffered a heart attack, so Harley Race tried to like revive him, but he just didn't he just didn't make it. So um, it's sad. It's sad, but uh, it's a it's a you know, it's a wrestling legacy. So that makes Ted's kids. So he had one kid, Mike, uh, the second and, uh, Ted jr. And Brett DiBiase. So those are all, they're all third generation wrestlers actually. So they're like the rock in that sense that they're third generation. So there's not a lot of those around. There's some, but Natalia, Natalia is also a third generation, but so that's uh, I mean, it's just kind of cool because, I didn't really realize how involved his mother was in professional wrestling. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, you guys could read the history. Like, we don't want to give you a history lesson, but it's just fun to know a little bit about, you know, some of the facts before we actually talk to talk to Ted in a little bit. And, I mean, even uh, if we talk a little bit about Ted uh, Jr., who, you know, came into WWE, uh, was part of a, a legacy with Randy Orton. Um, Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes and the... the, the Manu. Manu, they, who they kicked out later on because they realized he wasn't as good as they thought, probably. Yeah. But uh, no offense, Manu. I mean, we'll probably talk to you sooner or later. But, uh, you know, it, it was cool seeing Ted Jr., especially when he brought out Virgil and the Million Dollar Championship. I mean, that's what I kind of like seeing nowadays. I mean, uh, you know, you look at guys like Mike McGillicuddy, who turned into, you know... Kurt, uh, Curtis, Axel. Curtis Axel, which he should have just been Mr. Perfect. Use your dad's name. You know, I love that Ted was using his dad's gimmick. Uh, it's great. It was, you know, there was nothing wrong with the gimmick. He's the son of the million dollar man. Of course, he has like the trust fund. You know what I mean? It was the perfect gimmick. And, uh, you know, maybe I guess it didn't click with some of the fans or maybe they just didn't do it right. But I thought it was perfect. I love seeing that st- that happen now and nowadays to where, you know, the son of somebody famous comes in and uses dad's gimmick. I'm all about that. If they could do that more, please, if you're listening, do that more. Because, you know, for example, the Million Dollar Man, the gimmick, it's great. Reuse it, you know what I mean? And what better person to use it than your son, you know, who could, you know, live off the legacy. Your dad comes in for some spots. You take over, like, you you know, you got the trust fund going. You're still, you're like the Million Dollar Man now, you know what I mean? And I thought it would have been a great angle, but uh, I'm sure everybody would hate him if he was flying first class all the time nowadays. Uh, but what did you think about Ted Jr.? I mean, I kind of liked him. I kind of kind of sad that he wasn't he didn't have that long of a run, but uh, hopefully we'll see him back one day. Yeah, I think that I am shocked, probably more shocked than anybody, um, that out of legacy, that out of Ted and Cody, that Cody was the one that ended up having more charisma. Um, I just thought that Ted was, you know, he had a good look. I just thought that he had it all, and for whatever reason, this it never really clicked with the fans. But I met him several times. He was a really, really nice guy. But um, I, I have a little bit of a trivia question for you, Rito. What's that? Do I win anything if I get it right? Um, well, 
you win my respect. Yeah, which is priceless. <laughs> oh, look at that! See what he did yeah, there. See what I did there. <laughs> Do you know how many people held the million dollar championship? Wow, that's a good one. I, well, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, DiBiase, obviously. Yep. Um, I'm like you don't have to tell me if I'm right or wrong in this one, but I'm just gonna guess and name names, and I'll give you my final answer after I guess them. You got um, it. I forget honestly what happened in the '80s, but I'm gonna say he had it. I want to say Virgil had it for some point in time, doing something with it. Um, uh, so I don't know who else in the '80s, but after that, you know, his son had it. Jeez, uh, man, I know he lost it to something. Uh, I'm just gonna throw two more in there. I'm gonna say five people. Well, you're you are close, but. As they say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, my friend. So the correct answer is four. Ah. It was the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, Virgil, yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin, yeah. and Ted DiBiase Jr. Oh, I did, did I not say Steve Austin? I thought I said you Steve Austin. You did Austin. not. Jeez, man. I I thought I said it. Anyway. Yeah, well, think in one hand and you know what in the other. Wow, I'm surprised, though. Only four. I, I would have thought maybe somebody else might have taken it for something, but uh, that's interesting, though. Yeah, and actually, uh, what's really cool about it is, you know, we, we are based out of the northeast area. We're based out of Poughkeepsie, New York, but um, there's an actual jeweler in Greenwich, Connecticut, that created the Million Dollar Championship, and the, the jewelry store and the jeweler – uh, are still there today, so uh, wow. a lot of people can you know you can actually go to the place where they created the million dollar championship. Wow, we should uh, we should head down down there for a field trip one day and uh, see what they say. Yeah, we should definitely do another wrestling podcast field trip and uh, just see what we can find out about it. Awesome, very cool. Uh, well, I don't know, guys. I mean, I'm interested. I mean, there's a lot of history with the DiBiase family tree. Uh, I like doing these specials, Jonathan, where we're talking a little bit about you know some of the some of the big families in professional wrestling. And I mean, you know, we hope to see his sons do more in professional wrestling. Hopefully, they're not done yet. But I mean, hey, if I was the son of the million dollar man, you damn straight, I'd be in that ring right now, being the next million dollar man uh, and living it as much as I could. So, yeah, I think that there. I don't know. I, I don't know if their contributions to wrestling are done or not, but um, obviously Ted DiBiase has enough uh, contributions for everybody. So if it if that's the way it is, then that's okay. But I'm looking forward to getting into this. Uh, I think Ted just pulled into the AWP studios, so let's uh, let's find out what he has to say. <laughs> Everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man always gets his way. <laughs> Alright, joining us tonight is WWE Hall of Famer, WWE legend, the man who needs no introduction, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Ted, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Stephen, guys. Thanks. Now, uh, Ted, you came from a wrestling family with both your mother and father wrestling. When did you start to decide that wrestling was the right fit for you? Well, I loved the business my entire life, you know, for that for that very reason. You know, it's like there's a lot of people who say, you well, my there's a lot of second-generation wrestlers, but not. I can't think of anybody else that had both of their parents 
you know, uh, wrestling. And so the, uh, you know, uh, the thought was always there. I mean, I grew up loving it. Uh, you know, it's like I idolized my dad. Of course, you know, once my mom and dad married, you know, um, my mother didn't wrestle anymore. So, I mean, it's like I can only remember maybe one time when I was uh, young that I ever actually saw her wrestle. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's kind of like I was like a little kid that grew up saying I wanted to be just like my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I've loved the business ever since I was very young. I used to, you know, watch my dad and I'd wrestle on the floor with my little brother after the matches, you know, like a lot of kids do. And I'd, I'd, get, a, I'd get a hairbrush and stand in front of the mirror and cut interviews, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all that stuff. But then, you know, reality is that my, you know, my dad didn't want me to be in the wrestling business uh, for the same reason once I got in the wrestling business, I didn't really want my boys to do it. It's not the wrestling at all. It's it's the lifestyle. It's the it's how hard the the life is and, and what it can do to you. And uh, as a parent, those are the things that you know. I, you know, I, I I came to realize you know, why when I was when I was older. But anyway, um, I wanted to be like my dad, so I wanted to wrestle. Uh, but my my first love for the longest time became football because. You know, in the back of my mind, even though I loved wrestling, I didn't know if I would ever really do it. You know, because uh, I guess I, I would venture to say that if my dad had lived, you know, out of respect for him, I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I did. No, <laughs> <laughs> so you received a, a scholarship to West Texas University for football, like you were saying. So um, you weren't the only professional wrestler who were attended there. Barry Windham, Tito Santana. Dusty Rhodes and the Funks, uh, among others, went to West, uh, West Texas State. So what do you think brought so many of you legends and Hall of Famers down to West Texas State University? Well, West Texas State, the influence there was the Funk family. Um, Dory Funk Sr. was the promoter of what was dead in the Amarillo Territory. And, uh, you know, both of his sons, Dory Jr. and Terry, attended West Texas State. And I think it was just the, that influence going forward. Uh, different guys that that came along, um, you know, that that came to the school to play football, but ended up becoming wrestlers. Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, uh, you know, um, oh my gosh, uh, Dusty Rose. Actually, Dusty what didn't play football. Dusty was a baseball player, you know. But again, it was the influence of the of the Funk family. And uh, you know, when I was there, you know, there were three guys that became stars uh, on one team. Tully Blanchard, myself, and Tito Santana were all on the same team. Wow. And after us was uh, uh, Kelly Kaniski, who didn't stay in the business, and then Barry Windham and Manny Fernandez. So it's just, it's kind of a joke, you know, like that West Texas State graduated more pro wrestlers than pro football players. Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, you, you mentioned uh, the Funks. Uh, you were trained by Terry and Dory Funk Jr., uh, two of the greats. Uh, uh, do you feel that you learned everything you needed to know about pro wrestling from the Funks? I don't think I learned everything from them, but I mean that was the beginning for me, the beginning of my under you know my 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 beginning to learn the understanding of the psychology of wrestling started with the Funks, and uh, you know in retrospect, if you if you examine the territories back in the days of the territories. And you look at the guys that went through and came out of Amarillo, and then you look at the guys that went through and came out of uh, Mid South. You're gonna, you know, just 
you know, the A-list of guys. Well, just look at all the guys that came out of West Texas State that, I mean, that didn't just become wrestlers, that all became stars. Yeah. Incredible. Um, but, uh, and again, the, the the Funks, and again, Dory Funk Sr. was very good friends, uh, very, very good friends with a guy named Eddie Graham. And Eddie Graham's regretted by just about everybody. He's probably the greatest in terms of ring psychology. Bill Watts. There's another guy who studied under Eddie Graham. Uh, Dusty Rhodes is another guy <laughs> as as a booker that studied under Eddie Graham, and they were all great. So, um, but I think that was the influence there. All right, and now were the Funks as wild as everyone says, or could you remember anything from training from them that was a, maybe a funny story about that? Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, I, you know, I can't, you know, Dory Junior. Uh, I would say was a little more reserved than Terry. <laughs> Terry was a wild guy. You know, Terry was a guy, in, and just uh, you know, the thing that's great about Terry Funk is that he could give you everything. You know, I, I don't think that I've ever seen Junior Dory Junior. In a, you know, I've never seen him. You know, he had one style, and that, and it, has, and it was great. I mean, you know, he was a consummate pro. You know, he was a guy that definitely deserved to be a world champion because he he could go in the ring and he could wrestle. You know, he could show you that he could wrestle. Uh, And that's why some of the classic world championship matches that I've ever seen were between him and Jack Briscoe. But his brother, Terry, Terry could do the same thing, but then Terry could flip it. Terry could be just as wild and as crazy, I mean, uh, as the next guy. And, you know, and he was, you know. Um, So... And, uh, but of the two brothers, I would probably say that Terry had more influence. I think just because I was closer to him in, in, uh, in age, I mean, Junior's a little older than, than his brother. Um, and it was just, uh, Terry's the guy that just kind of became like a brother to me. So, uh, as a matter of fact, when my opportunity came to go to the WWF, as it was then, I, uh, you know, I, anytime I made a major decision in my career, I always ran it by Terry. You know, and so, uh, and of course, when I told, told him what Vince had in mind, he said, you know what, pack your bag, don't look back. You know, if, you know, if he's got something, you know, which which the idea was, the whole Million Dollar Man concept was Vince McMahon original. And uh, he said, if, if he's got that and he thinks you're the guy for it, he says, you'd be an idiot not to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, and the rest is history. Now, before you went to WWE, you spent a lot of time in Mid-South Wrestling. Um, You also spent some time traveling around the different territories. But your first match was against Danny Hodge, who has quite a reputation. Um, Can you kind of walk us through that that match? Well, I couldn't walk you through the match. It was so long ago, I I couldn't remember the entire (laughs) match. Uh, And, of course, we're talking about a TV match, you know, in a, in a studio that, mm-hmm. you know, in a one hour show. So that match probably didn't last five minutes. And the reality is I was so nervous that, you know, um, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't tell you the first thing. All I could tell you was this, was that, um, from the very beginning, my greatest concern was to, I was always extremely conscious of not wanting fans to be able to see through my work. In mm-hmm. other words, 
every time I got in the ring, the attitude was, if I don't accomplish anything else, I'm going to make sure these people uh, believe what they see. And so uh, until I could throw a good punch, I didn't throw a punch. And, of course, back then, when you're a young guy breaking into business and you're in an opening match, you know, you don't throw punches. You know, it's like, you know, you wrestle. It's, again, psychology. You know, there was a time when guys in the first or second match would throw a punch. You know, it's like it's, as the night went on, the, it got more and more. It was like if you start throwing punches and, and, and hitting people and heavy chairs in the first match, then by the time you get to the main event, who cares? Mm. And that was my yeah. whole problem with ECW. You know, like from from bell to bell, it was just uh, you know, and of course they had a cult following, no doubt about that. But just just you know, it's like how many times can you, you know, by the end of the night you're like you know, if somebody you know splits his head wide open with it with a chair, they they've already seen it four or five times. So why is it special? And uh, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, the um, you know. The match with Danny Hodge, of course, because of the reputation, and you know what? He was just as he was just as um, gentle as he could be. I mean, uh, you know, he wasn't somebody that was going to go out there and you know and you know twist me into a knot and and uh, make me scream or anything like that. But uh, you know, I mean, I paid him all due respect, and uh, and I kind of I kind of proud of the fact that if my first television match was, was going to be with somebody, you know, that was a, that was a great guy to start with. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, now Ted, uh, after spending nearly four years in Mid-South, you went on to WWF, becoming its first North American champion. Uh, did you feel that winning that championship was your big break? Well, you know, I, 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 w- I came into the WWF as I was introduced as the that as the as the North American champion. Mm-hmm. That's what Vince McMahon said. When we bring you in here, we're going to introduce you. So nobody at that time, you know, the, the, the WWF didn't at that time. They had their tag, t- they had their world tag team champion, their world champion, and their world's lady champion, and there were no other titles. And so he introduced me as the North American champion. So it was a pretty unique thing. And then uh, along the way, you know, I happened to mention, the, you know, I didn't tell him right away, but you know, I, I mentioned to him at some point. I said, you know, Bill Watts' champion down in Mid South is called the North American champion which he wasn't aware of. And so that's how that happened. You know, I dropped the belt to uh, Pat Patterson. But Pat Patterson then, I mean, he didn't actually, you know, they just made up a story. But Pat went off to some tournament in Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro and uh, they, uh, uh, you know, everybody put up their titles, and then whoever won the tournament would come out the intercontinental champion, and he won it. Ah. And uh, so... It's kind of funny, you know, Pat's always been given credit as being the first Intercontinental Champion, and I guess he was, but in reality, it was me. Ah, well, there you go, Jonathan. Learn something new every day. I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, I I wasn't ever, I was never called the Intercontinental Champion, but I was the first person brought into the WWF with a title that had, you know, that previously, again, for their for their history, they, they had a world champion, world tag team champions, and a world ladies champion. So, um, hmm. there's a little backstory to that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, we kind of talked not a lot, but uh, about the territory system. 
Do you feel that professional wrestling suffered once most of its territories started to get bought up or they just kind of got disbanded? Do you think that that was needed to to grow as a professional wrestler, the territory system? Well, you know, here's the thing. It's almost like uh, a catch-22 situation. You know, you're, you're screwed if you do and you're screwed if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I was like, when when I first started, started watching and seeing what Vince was doing, and what Vince did was really a stroke of genius. I mean, you know, looking back, I mean, uh, he took wrestling, which was, you know, I mean, wrestling was pretty much a blue-collar crowd form of entertainment. It wasn't really mainstream. It wasn't your, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was ever considered family entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he made it by dressing up the characters and making them very animated over the top. You know, you, you always knew who the good guys were, the bad guys were, and ultimately the good guy would win. And, and then, you know, so you got the superheroes, which, you know, like Hulk Hogan and the whole I mean, I was like, a million dollar man, I was like wrestling's answer to Snidely Whiplash, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, with the boisterous laugh and the whole deal. But um, when Vince started this, he had the entire country and all those territories to get his talent from. Now, you know, the story goes is that he he went to all those promoters and and invited them. He says, here's what I'm about to do. Hey, everybody, I mean, he gave everybody full warning. Here's what I'm about to do. I'd love for you to join me, yeah, but if you don't join, join me, just know that I'm coming. And so, of course, the only ones that I think really went with him was were the Briscoes down in Florida mm-hmm. at the time. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, where are all where's all the new talent going to come from? That's the problem. Is that in wrestling today? You know, uh, they've got a tra- tremendous training facility down in Orlando. I've been there. I spent a week there as a special guest trainer. Um, and it's a great thing they're doing. But the bottom line is you can't learn this business working in a gym, working out in a gym. You have got to get in front of a live crowd. And it's kind of like uh, it's an, it's an apprenticeship. It's, you know... We would work every single night, and we would work in front of a different crowd every night in a different town every night. It was a circuit, you know. I, I would say, you know, every, you know, each night of the week, you know, I mean, you came back to the same towns on a weekly basis, and doing that, you had to, you know, you had to have, you had to learn how to really work because now you, you know, you can't go back there and have the same match all the time. So you got to think, you know, and it forced you to think, forced you to grow. Um, and when you first start, you know, uh, a rookie like me, uh, you know, I might be on the first match in some podunk town, but the guy across the ring from me has probably been working, you know, five, six, seven years and has the ability to lead me. And so you watch other talent and you glean from them. You see something you like and you, you take it and you, uh, and you make it part of your repertoire. And over a period of time, you develop your own character. And, and, uh, that's just not, it's, you know, it's just a cookie cutter thing now. It seems, you know, like in the reason there's so much more drama in the shows as you don't have guys today that know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I never had a scripted match in my life. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, the reason I didn't do well there when I went back as a producer was that reason. You know, I told Arn Anderson, you know, you know, 
All right, I said, you know what? I said, I can't do this. I said, because I never did it. I said, the only thing I knew when I walked in the ring, and you know that, you know, he knew it, I knew the finish. I knew exactly how it was going to end and maybe how it was going to start. And that, you know, and, and how it started might was probably based on what I had done with the guy the, the, the last time I wrestled him. In other words, if you've got a story or, a, or an angle going already, you go, okay, here's what we, here's how, here's the last thing that people saw us do. Here's what their attitude should be tonight. So maybe, according to that, we should do this. But everything in the middle was ad lib. Yeah. And, and that's the gift. That's the real art mm-hmm. of wrestling. And it's a dying art. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the talent's fault. It's not the talent's fault because they very. It's, it's simply the the process by which that that you learn how to work in this business does not exist anymore. Uh, it just it doesn't. I mean, uh, that that the territories made it that way. That that was like it was almost like you know. Uh, now I guess you know if you could have a farm system like uh, baseball, you know, and if yeah. you could have territories where. You know, or at least a couple where the guys could go and and wrestle on regional television, and uh, and and learn the trade that way and move up. And they try to do that as best they can down in Florida, but I mean, it's just not the same. And people, you know, it's it's just you know they're they're not gonna you know it's just you know uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna pay the, they're not gonna pay the dollar to do it. It's just not gonna it's not the same. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know that it's, that it's fixable. I mean, uh, as much as I love the, the the business and I support the WWE, and there's a lot of great talent, and there's a, I mean, there's a lot of guys with great talent and a lot of charisma, and you got to have that, you know. But it's, uh, and I will say this now: there are some guys that that I have seen come on, and you know, like you take John Cena back when they first started pushing John Cena. You know, uh, uh, he had some charisma, you know, but, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about his work. Well, he, his work, you know, he's always, he's got kind of an awkward style, but his work is much better now than it was when they, when he became the champion, you know, I mean, yeah. how many years ago? Yeah. And, and why? Because he's had that much time to, you know, by the time I went to the WWF and became the million dollar man, I'd, I'd been wrestling 12 years. I'd, yeah, that I'd makes a difference. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I mean, uh, and you know, it's kind of like so they're doing the best they can because like, people ask me that question all the time. Why? Why is there so much? It's it's just so much drama and not enough action. And I go, that's the reason, you know. Um, and it's hard to explain if you don't understand the business. Sure. Uh, but. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the one nation I can give you. <laughs> All right, now, now, Ted, uh, your list of feuds read as a who's who in professional wrestling. Uh, who do you think your greatest feud was with, and uh, who did you enjoy working with the most? Uh, gosh, well, you know, prior to the WWE, I would say that uh, the the biggest. Um, angle that I ever had and the, and the biggest feud that I ever had was when I turned heel and uh, had the and then I shot the angle of the junkyard dog down here in Mid-South uh, and of course you know then I went to Atlanta you know and I you know, in Atlanta I, I did something similar there and had a run with Tommy Rich and uh, but but I would say the, the feud with JYD and then in the WWF um 
you know, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, uh, I had a great run with Macho Man. I mean, that was, you know, the whole thing when they, the whole first year of my, you know, when I came in, I came on the scene in the summer of, uh, uh, what was that, 80, 87, and then by WrestleMania in March of 88, you know, that the culmination was that tournament, you know, the thing with me uh, saying I was going to buy the belt and the whole deal, but, you know, even though I lost that match with Savage, then for the next almost year, it was either me and Savage in single matches, some or me and and whoever, Andre oftentimes against him and Hulk or him and or, you know, Hulk with somebody. So I had a pretty good run with uh, with Macho Man and loved working with him. Absolutely loved it. And then then the next uh, the next one that I think that I enjoyed the most and uh, probably was the most significant would be with Jake. Mm, yes. You know, I had a good run with Jake the Snake and loved working with him too. Actually, my favorite WrestleMania match was with Jake at uh, WrestleMania 6. Now, you've had some pretty amazing first you've introduced a lot of people into the the wwe um but something that people may not know is that you actually wrestled hulk hogan in his first madison square garden match uh when you when you had that match with him did you think he was going to become the star that he did when you wrestled him that night uh no i mean i i had no idea i knew that uh i knew that that they just uh you know with his size and his appearance and everything you know, I, mean, I could just see the dollar signs in Vince Senior's eyes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when I wrestled Hope that, at that time, he was still pretty green. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd been in the business, like, I think by that time, that was, um, what year was that? That was 80 uh, or 79, right? So I'd been working, uh, you know, for, for four, four and a half years. And, you know, I, I don't know that he had had much experience prior to that. And I, I was a baby face, and he was the heel. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, of course, I called the match. And, and uh, you know, Vince Sr. really paid me a compliment because I, I went to Vince because I knew, I said, I know you really want to get this guy over strong. And, and, and that match with Hulk, his first match in the Garden, was my last appearance in the WWF. That was mm-hmm. the first run I made because when, I, when, I, when that match was up the next day, I got on a plane. And I flew to, uh, I flew back and and started in mid south, and it was back in mid south again. All right. So, um, but no, I had no idea. I don't think anybody did. Now, uh, Ted, uh, you you technically held the WWF championship, even though you purchased it. Uh, do you think at that point in your career, though, you deserve to actually win the title? Well, you know, people always ask me, they say, you're the one guy that so many people say should have, uh, you know, been the champion and you never really were officially a champion. You know, you know, in NWA, the same thing. Um, you know, I was one of the uh, two or three guys at one time, you know, being covered as an NWA world champion. It never happened. And, um, of course, there's politics in a lot of that, too. But as far as the WWF title, um you know, in reality, when we went to WrestleMania four, the first thought was that I would win that tournament. And of course, if I'd have won that tournament, I would have had a run with Hogan and the belt. And it, you know, it's the thing you keep feeding the you keep feeding the the, the main guy heels. 
so I'd had my run, and then I'd have dropped the belt back to Hogan, and you know, I'd have got back in line. Um, the whole idea about me creating my own belt put a lot more heat on me, mm-hmm. and that's what this business is. It's about making money, and so you know, uh, would have I would I have liked to have been world champion at some point? Yeah, that'd be nice to say that you're a world champion. But in reality, you know, championship belts are props in this business, and it is a business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like somebody saying, "Well, I was, eight, you know, eight-time or nine-time or fifteen-time <laughs> world champion." I said, "Yeah," because somebody <laughs> wrote that into the script, pal. <laughs> you know, quit believing your own, you know, you know. Yep, yep. It's a business, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, is, 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 am I hurt or am I dismayed because of that? No, not all at right. all. Okay, so you were also a part of a very successful tag team, uh, Money Incorporated, with Erwin R. Scheister. Um, now, I have my own uh, thought about this, but I would ask you, what do you think your most memorable match uh, as a, a part of uh, Money, Inc. was? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm not sure if it was the greatest match but the most memorable match that we had, I can guarantee you, was wrestling the Road Warriors in front of 80,000 people at Wembley Stadium. That's the one. was just about out of his mind on uh, painkillers. Oh. As a matter of fact, the reason that we went on first, I mean, here we are, the World Tag Team Champions, and we're the first match. Well, the reason we were the first match is we told Vince, they said, we said, Vince, if you don't put us out there now, if we wait an hour and a half or whatever, he said he might not, he, he might, he might not be able to go to the ring. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's why we went up first. So, yeah, that was the most memorable match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, but you know what? I love those guys. I mean, you know, Hawk was a great guy. I mean, you know, and eventually he got that under control in his life. And, uh, uh, you know, irregardless, of, you know, we all have our issues. Absolutely, every one of us have our our our, our, our demons. And uh, but uh, there's a guy who would give you literally a shirt off his back, and he's one of those guys. If you were gonna have, if you had the choice to have one friend go walk down a dark alley with you, and you knew you were gonna have to face 15 guys, who would that one one guy be? It would be Mike Ekstrand, because he was legitimately as tough as they come. The only one back, the only other guy, you know, beyond that guy, people ask me, and I would probably say that would Haku. You know, Haku was one of those guys, too. Some kind of like, where does a 300 pound gorilla sleep? Anywhere he wants to. Yeah, that was definitely the, the match I was thinking about. I remember you guys, uh, they came out on the, the motorcycles, and you had a, a brand new suit on and uh i remember watching that and it was definitely my 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 favorite money ink match for sure <laughs> now uh, ted uh, as uh, your tag team career started to wind down after winning an impressive three tag team championships you began your career as a manager you know at that point in your career were you happy to not be wrestling anymore and just you know still be a part of the business and uh, managing well, you know, the reason that I, I went from wrestling to managing, I, I would continue to wrestle longer had it not been for a neck injury. And in reality, the neck injury was not actually an injury. It wasn't like I had a match and, oh, my gosh, I hurt my neck. Hmm. It was something that manifested itself after. Like, I, I had, when I had left the WWF at the end of 93, the SummerSlam 93, I wrestled Razor Ramon. That was the last match I actually ever had in the United States. 
and uh, then I went to Japan for a while. And the reason I, the only reason I left at that time is, you know, you know, I mean, if you've read my story, you know, in, in March of 92, uh, just a little bit earlier, I, because when this life change happened to me, when I had, when I was confronted by my wife with, you know, adultery and, 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 and crazy living and lifestyle and realized I was, I was putting at risk the most valuable things in my life, you know, uh, the, the stroke and ego trip. And my life turned around. And by the summer of '93, I realized if I don't if I don't get out of here for a while, I'm going to let this is going to suck me back in. In other words, you know, if you're going to quit drinking, then you, you know you can't hang out in the bar. And back then, you know, life on the road for us was like rock stars. It was the next town, the next show, the next party, the next girl. Down the road you go, and. Uh, and so that's really why I left in 93. Now, when I left, I went back to work in Japan for about two, two I did two tours. And I've been literally, I went back over to Japan. The first time I was in Japan, uh, all Japan for wrestling giant, Baba put the World Tag Team Championship belts on me in San Hansen again. My first night, you know, and then I thought, man, I'm off and running again. Well, that's when this neck, neck thing manifested itself. And so... By the end of '93, I had I had left wrestling physically, and uh, I got a call from Vince to come and do commentary with him for, I believe it was the uh, the Royal Rumble in February of '94, uh, and uh, it's prior to you know WrestleMania 10, and uh, and he liked it and I enjoyed it and. Uh, I said, I told him, I said, hey, if you're interested, I'd like to give this a go. And, you know, I said, I have nothing against coming back and, you know, you know, in a managing role. And he said, we'll come to WrestleMania 10 and, and, and we'll see. Huh. And all the rest is history, you know. So I became a, a, a commentator and a manager. All right. uh, yeah, and... Uh, had a pretty good run. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you left the w, the then WWF for WCW shortly after you started the Million Dollar Corporation. Um, as soon as you got to WCW, you immediately became part of the NWO. Even though you were part of something as big as the NWO, uh, what were your initial thoughts going into WCW after just being in the WWF? Well, I mean, I went to WCW, really. I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed in WWF. Uh, I just Vince moved me. Vince put me back on the road, and that's a business decision. And in reality, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I should have sat down and talked to Vince. You know, but at my time, I just said, "Look, Vince is a businessman. He's not interested in my personal problems, and he's you know got to do what he's got to do. So I got to do what I got to do. And if, if if my working for him means me being on the road, then I can't do it because being on the road was that danger zone for me. And so I went to WCW in the same, you know, as a manager commentator. And, um, um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I was shocked. The most ill run organization I ever worked for was WCW. And, uh, it was like the fact that, and I'm going to tell you something. The only reason that they competed for, with Vince and the wrestling wars went on, uh, for as long as they did is because, you had you had stars created by Vince McMahon that were now going up against new stars created by Vince McMahon <laughs> because Eric Bischoff mm-hmm. couldn't create a star if it hit him in the, in the head. 
<laughs> you know, he, you know, you know, I'm sorry, he just doesn't have the ability. He doesn't know how to make a star. Yeah, Vince McMahon knows how to create stars, and so um, it was just a very poor run organization. And, I, and when that my three year contract was up with them, I was ready to go. Uh, well, Ted, now, after WCW folded, uh, you started making appearances for several promotions uh, before starting your ministry called Heart of David. Uh, why did you start uh, the ministry, and anything you could tell us a little bit more about that? Well, in reality, I didn't, you know, I didn't really hop around to any other promotions. There was a, there was a one thing, one day somebody asked me to come do this one deal. Uh, I can't remember what they even called it now, but it, you know, it was a one-time thing, and it flopped. And you know, it was just the, the the money was right. But the main the main thing I did was, you know, in the in like uh, summer of ninety uh, nine is when I when I stopped wrestling, and I, I mean that's when the wrestling as as a vocation in life ended. And I now went to work, working towards going out and doing ministry. Uh, it was something I felt led to over a period of time. I mean, this started back in '94. You know, even when I was wrestling and I was I was managing and commentating what have you in the WWE and in both WCW. Uh, there were a lot of times there there were a lot of opportunities. You know, along the way where I was going and starting starting to speak in churches, and so that that was my decision. You know, as I, you know, I decided that when my contract with WCW ran out, I was done. And so in uh, February of 2000, uh, I was ordained through my local church, and, and uh, except for about a year and a half stint with the WWE as a part of their creative team and slash producer, uh, I've been in a full-time ministry ever since. And you know, it's uh, again, it's ministry is a calling on your life. Ministry is something you don't wake up one day. It's what I'll do God a favor. Uh, it's something that I that grew within me for a long time. Okay. And uh, you know, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. I believe that. And uh, and so you know, I, I feel like I've been given a lot. Uh, you know, by God's grace, you know, I, I've been able to enjoy. You know, in spite of some of the stupid things that I've been able to enjoy, a wonderful career. Uh, about this guy that was that was loving and kind enough to uh, stick with me through hard times and forgive me and restore my marriage and uh, so you know um, you know if I'd have stayed a little bit longer in the ring you know I might have been one of those guys with a million dollar contract uh, and I could have mm-hmm. but I chose not to I mean literally when this thing with my neck happened I could have gone I could have had a, uh, I could have had surgery and I could have continued to wrestle. But I knew that if, you know I was just I was at a I was about to turn forty. My dad had had a heart attack and died in the ring when he was forty five years old. And I told myself right then I said that's not going to be me. I made myself mm-hmm. a promise that I would not stay too long. I wasn't going to end up being one of those old guys that keeps trying to go out in the ring and prove himself and still wrestle when he's you know when, you know I mean you know I love Rick Flair to death, but you know Rick get over it. Yeah, <laughs> it's over. It's over. You yep. know what? I mean, I'm 61 in January, and that makes Rick 66. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if they'd let him, he'd climb in the ring and wrestle tomorrow. <laughs> yep. 
And, you know, and if he did, I'd say, Rick, okay, if you're going to do it, put a body shoe on, please. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, you, you were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as the headliner, no doubt. Um, what was the, it, was that the best moment of your wrestling career? Uh, I, you know, it, it was definitely a highlight. Absolutely. I mean, you'd be inducted in the Hall of Fame. You know, you're being recognized by your peers, you know, by your, by your, you know, you know, and, and included in, in a group that, you know, a lot of the guys included in that group were guys that I looked up to and admired. So, yeah, it was a very special moment. Uh, I mean, you know, I, you know, was it the moment? I don't know if it was the moment of my life, but uh, <laughs> in terms of, you know, um, I don't think I could pick one. There were several huge moments in my wrestling career, but um, that would actually, you know, absolutely, that would, that's the cherry on the top, though, for sure. As the million dollar man, what was the most expensive thing you ever bought? A million dollar belt. All right. Uh, Virgil. Not very bright. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who came up with the idea for the million dollar championship? Vince McMahon. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Consummate pro. Made a lot of money, man. What is the question you get asked the most about the Million Dollar Man? Did I really jilt that little boy out of the money when I kicked the basketball? (laughs) And the answer is no. It was all staged. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Who is your favorite wrestler of all time? My dad. Vince McMahon. You know what? A guy that I will be forever grateful for because I wouldn't be doing this interview if it weren't for him. And uh, you talk about a guy, I mean, love him and hate him. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship, but I think anybody that's ever had a boss has had that. But uh, the guy has an unbelievable work ethic. You know, there's no way I can, in, in a few words, describe Vince McMahon. But uh, he's, he's a working machine, and he's as disciplined as they come. And uh, it's kind of like uh, there, there, you know, there are times when I have sat in awe of that work ethic. It's like, and you know, and, and look what it's done, you know. Uh, and they also say there's a fine line between genius and insane, and I believe this <laughs> walks that line. <laughs> now, uh, how did you come up with your signature laugh? Again, uh, I did an interview. At one of the TV tapings, Vince happened to be walking by, and he heard it. He stuck his head in the door, and he said, that is the million-dollar man. I want to hear that laugh every time you do an interview. And so, once again, it was Vince who trademarked my laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, this is our Thanksgiving show that we're doing, so could you just give us, like, a couple things you're thankful for? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I'm still married to a wonderful woman. I'm thankful that I'll be able to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, at home with my family. And uh, I'm thankful that I'm able to watch my grandchildren grow up. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for an unbelievable career. And I'm thankful for wrestling fans because wrestling fans, in my opinion, are some of the loyalist fans in, 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 in the industry. Once they're there, they just stick with you. And if it weren't for the fans, 
again, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation and I wouldn't have much to talk about. So I, I would say thank you for all the fans. Now, uh, Ted, we we here at another wrestling podcast really uh, appreciate your time with us tonight. We, it's an honor to have you on, and we are humbled that you uh, allowed us to the time that you did tonight. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, again, uh, it's because of guys like you and other interviews like this that you know it it, it keeps me going and it keeps my name out there and. and uh, uh, you know, in reality, is I, I couldn't give three nickels about being famous anymore. But it's what it helps me do is it helps open doors uh, to pursue the passion of my life now, and that is to present people with change in my life because of Jesus Christ. And um, uh, again, I tell guys all the time, people all the time, I said I'm not a wrestler in the physical sense of the word. You know, I haven't climbed the ring, put the back in a long time, but I, I, I wrestle now for the souls of men. And I can tell you countless stories about lives that have been changed, including mine. Uh, you know, not by my power, but by the power of, 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 a, of a Savior who died on a cross and rose from the dead and will come again. Uh, I firmly believe that with all my heart. Um, and that's, that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. And, and that's why I thank you guys for uh, allowing me this opportunity to uh, to share a little bit of that with you. Yep, thank you. And that, well, yeah, we definitely appreciate it. Now, is there anything uh, – we do live in a world with all the social media and websites and all that stuff. Is there anything that you would like to uh, use to direct people, whether it's Twitter or a website or anything like that? Yeah, on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is MDM, Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, again, I mean, there's, I have a, um, I have a, um, you know, like a personal Facebook page, and then I also have a, uh, um, you know, like a business page. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it'd be hard to find. Ted, thank you so much for your time once again. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. Wow, Jonathan, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, what a guy, a great guy to talk to. Uh, We'll definitely be sure to have him on in the future. Uh, Great, great interview, Jonathan. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. What a great show. Uh, We couldn't have done it without our friends at Collector's Realm, Jonathan. That's right, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Collector's Realm is the best place to go. Now that it's Thanksgiving, it's time to start thinking about the holidays. And you can go there to find anything and everything related to pro wrestling, comic books, uh, you name it, they have it. And, Steve, I don't know if you know this or not, but on Sunday, December the 14th, from 12 to 2 p.m. at Collector's Realm, which happens to be in the Duchess Marketplace, uh, it's off right off of Route 9 in Fishkill, New York, none other than wrestling's hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Wow. Mick Foley coming to Dutchess County, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, if you want more information, check out collectorsrealm.net. You can find all the information, store location, times, hours, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Once again, a big shout-out to Collectors Realm. Yeah, we we thank you guys very much, and uh, definitely come out and see them and tell them that AWP sent you. That's right. Uh, You might not get anything for free, but at least they know you're listening. 
guys, if you're listening out there right now and you want to share maybe a moment that you remember uh, that, you know, you always think about when you hear about the Million Dollar Man, share it with us. Tweet it to us. Facebook us. Uh, we got all the links on anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. If you don't remember it, it's facebook.com slash anotherwrestlingpodcast or on Twitter at a wrestling pod. That's a wrestling P-O-D. Uh, you can only fit so many characters in the name, but you get the point, folks. Just look up another wrestling podcast. It'll be there. But, you know, more importantly, head on over to the site. We have our links. You can follow us, uh, subscribe to us, rate us, review us, like us, poke us. You know, all that social media stuff. Right, Jonathan? That's right, Credo. And for all of you out there that want to take us with you on the go, be sure to go to iTunes and find us on there. We have now 25 episodes of wrestling awesomeness. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us, rate, review, just tell all your friends about us. And then also, another thing I'm thankful for in America and the world is clothing. And that's my chance to segue into we have our own t-shirt store on ProWrestlingTees.com. So get on there, look us up, and buy a shirt or 12. <laughs> or 12. Yeah, that would be really nice. Because, you know, somebody out there needs a t-shirt, Jonathan. What better t-shirt than to give them another wrestling fan than another wrestling t-shirt? Uh, and a lot more coming, Jonathan. we got another one that should be debuting any second, any day. Eat, sleep, listen to another wrestling podcast. Repeat. Who doesn't want to wear that on their, on their body? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd. <laughs> well, hey, guys. You know what we mean. Head on over there. Support us because we support each and every one of you. All right, so we have a little bonus clip for you guys today. Um, the other day we spoke with the guys from tagmeadate.com. Let's hear what they had to say about their new revolutionary pro wrestling dating site. Tag, you're in. I have none other than Steve and Hector from tagmeadate.com. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks Glad for having us. So just um, just for anybody who doesn't know about this, but you will be knowing about this soon, tagmeadate.com is a pro wrestling themed dating site. Am I, am I correct with that? Absolutely. It's a dating site for wrestling fans of all kinds to find relationships through wrestling, a passion. Find it through a niche concept like wrestling. Okay. So um, I have to – first things first, I just have to ask you guys, uh, how did you come up with this idea? Well, I uh, I came up with the idea, and it just kind of came to me one day. I, uh, I've, I've been on plenty of dating sites, uh, you know, Match.com and, you know, all those other dating sites. And um, I wound up meeting my now wife not even through a dating site. But I know of dating sites, and it's the number one way people meet nowadays. Um, I currently had a job, and uh, things didn't go well with the job, and I was kind of at a place where I didn't know where I was going to go from there. And one day, I literally started thinking, well, dating sites. And then I started thinking, well, wrestling is one of my biggest passions, and, and something I always said I wanted to do something related to the wrestling business. And then I looked at my wife, and I said, what about a dating site for wrestling fans. And she looked at me and she said, we really need to look into this. It's a great idea. And it just kind of went on from there. And uh, and here we are today with tagmeadate.com. Now, 
I have to ask, you know, you mentioned some of the other dating sites. You mentioned eHarmony and all the other ones. What makes your dating site different than those those sites? Well, there's a, a bunch of things. Number one, we are a dating site for wrestling fans. That in itself separates us from, from the bunch. Um, it's very specific in, in what we're looking to target and who we're looking to target. You know, we want wrestling fans. You know, our website works a little differently than some of your traditional dating sites. What's so unique about tagmeadate.com is that our website is built to find matches based on how you answer wrestling-related questions. You know, you go to all these other dating sites and you have these long, tedious questionnaires when you first start out, some of which make you seem like you've written your college thesis. You know, we wanted to kind of get that out of of the mix, so we shortened it and we made it where it's only wrestling-related questions. There's none of the other, you know... Do you like red wine? Do you like white wine? Do you like what kind of movies? There's none of that. It's who's your favorite wrestler. It's what's your favorite entrance, uh, your favorite manager, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's just very unique and different in the way we're going to find your your future tag team soulmates, as we like. And also the, the biggest thing that's going to, um, you know, keep us uh, uh, growing and, and really different from all the rest or all the new updates that we're going to be having coming up pretty soon. Um, you know, we, we're in talks right now. You know, our, our development team is really talking about setting up a lot of different things that are, you know, we're really not going to share too much, but we do have some things coming down the pipeline that uh, are really going to set us apart. Uh, a couple of things that no other dating website has, um, you know, just it, it's really going to be something crazy. So, um, you know, sticking with the wrestling theme, sticking with, um, you know, the, the, the niche that wrestling is, the tight-knit community that it really is. Um, you know, our website is really going to start growing and, and, and start taking shape. And, um, you know, I don't want to reveal too much. That's kind of why I'm being kind of uh, coy right now. But God, I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. What, what Hector is referring to, we got something in the pipeline that is going to be something that no other dating site has ever done. Yeah, This is going to be something so different that you talk about what's separating us. This is going to be something where you're like, wow, Tag Me A Date was the first. Okay. Now, um, since, like I mentioned earlier, there's a pretty big buzz going around. You've been featured on a lot of different um, wrestling news sites. You've done several interviews. You're starting to go to a lot of shows. The momentum's starting to build for you guys. So, um, if you don't mind me asking about how many people do you have signed up right now? Well, I can tell you as of a, a few days ago, um, I actually, uh, I'm, I'm talking with my guys this evening to get updates. Um, but so far as of a few days ago, now granted we've been live just about a month now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so in a month's time, we're looking at just over 2,500, uh, signups right now. That's that's amazing. Now, when when you start to see these, is there has it been predominantly male or is it a good mix of both? Well, right now we're we're looking at about a seventy five twenty five split, uh, male to female ratio. Um, you know, that's something that we're definitely working on. We have a lot of things in the works right now that are going to try and uh, build up our, our female de- demographic in our database. 
and uh, going from there. So, you know, the typical split on any website or any dating website is is close to like eight, uh, excuse me, uh, 70, 30, um, 80-20 is, is, you know, somewhere I guess people are happy with. But uh, anything higher than that is, is pretty much uh, cake. So 75-25 right now. And, um, you know, we're, we're just going to make that, uh, you know, come as close together as possible. Okay. So I'm going to back up a little bit now. Uh, we talked a little bit about the site. But I want to ask you guys, you obviously have to be professional wrestling fans to start a professional wrestling dating site. So how, did, how did both of you guys kind of get into wrestling? Well, I, uh, I remember my grandfather uh, was big into wrestling. And um, I remember, I, I have very few memories of my grandfather, but one of which I always remembered was the first time I was sitting on his lap and I, I saw Hulk Hogan come on, I think it was Superstars, and he, and he was cutting a promo with Mean Gene Okerlund in the back. And it was from that point on I was hooked. I mean, I was Hulk Hogan. I was getting into trouble ripping all my undershirts and all that stuff. I had the Hulk Hogan weight set, if you remember that, and all that stuff. So, I mean, from there, it kind of took off, and, um, you know, it, it, I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, pretty much the same for me uh, as a kid growing up, you know, seeing Hogan on the screen and, you know, Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior, all that kind of stuff. I mean, those guys are really what, um, you know, made it happen for me. But um, I will tell you this, come around maybe about 2002, 2003, I was just graduating high school. I totally lost every everything that I had for wrestling. I It went away. I, I just didn't watch it. I, I really just, you know, got into my college mode and just really lost track. But uh, Steve was the one who pulled me back in. Uh, me and him actually worked together at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And uh, every day it was him telling me a new story about you know, the new storylines and such and such. And then when Rock came back in 2011, you know, I got right back on the horse. So uh, I got to give it to my man, Steve. He's the one who reeled me back in. So, you know, from there, it's been it's been on, you know, every day, every Monday, every Friday, every pay-per-view. You know, we, we have parties together. We, uh, you know, it, it's just a crazy time. So that's our that's our story. Okay. Now this one, this question, I don't want to get you in trouble, Stephen, but I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to ask this question. I wouldn't be doing. Oh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask this. Now <laughs> you run a dating site that centers around professional wrestling. So if you got to pick a diva to date in the world of professional, past or present, who would you pick? Are we talking? <clears throat> Diva knockout or combination? It doesn't it, matter. It, it does not matter. The sky's the limit for this one. Of all time, that's a good question. I mean, that's not an easy one to answer. But I, I have to say, I have to go. I'd have to go with my. I'd have to go with Trish Stratus. Okay, that's that's a very uh, strong choice. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to say Trish Stratus, and uh, I have to say Velvet Sky is a very close second. Okay, all right, Hector, what do you what do you have in store for oh, us? Oh man, listen, being being a Puerto Rican guy, there's no one hotter for me than Rosa Mendez. <laughs> that, that, that girl just is amazing. So Rosa Mendez, bar none. I mean, you got girls like AJ Lee who are just you know. Hot as can be, 
velvet sky hot as can be but for me rosa Mendes takes the cake man okay there's something about Paige. i don't know what it is about Paige, but there is something about Paige. there's several somethings about Paige. i think <laughs> <laughs> there really is so you guys now have been at this for a while um you are on pretty much all the social media that's out there you're on tagmeadate.com, like I mentioned, facebook.com slash tagmeadate. You're on Twitter, at tagmeadate, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, what what is the future hold for you guys as far as not, not necessarily the improvements you're going to be making to the sites and, and whatnot, but how, how far do you want to go with this? What's the ultimate goal for, let's say, 2015 for tagmeadate? Uh, well, I mean, listen, sky's the limit. It, it's really up to the fans, and and it, and it's, you know, we are going to be as success, as successful as the fans want us to be. You know, if if I'm right, and we are providing a service for the wrestling fans that are going to bite on it, then I think sky's the limit. Um, I can tell you, as of December first, um, it. It looks like we're, it's going to happen. We're going to go into the UK and Canada. So I mean, we're we're not going to hesitate to to get out there and tackle everybody. I want to be everywhere we can. I want everyone to be able to find their their significant other, whomever it be, and their common passion together. Be wrestling, you know. Be able to have those raw parties and be able to you know, go and save up to go to your WrestleMania, things like that, you know, and then that's, that's why I came up with the idea. And I, and I think, you know, together, if, if we want to, we can turn wrestling night into date night. And just to, just to kind of put a number on it, uh, Jonathan, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we're looking at 2,500 right now and that's before we hit, you know, go outside of the U S um, the UK has a huge market, um, Ireland is actually one of the biggest markets me and Steve were just speaking about just recently. Um, so we're looking to get out and our, you know, our reach as far as possible. Um, if we could hit, uh, the 10,000 member mark by June of 2015, uh, that would be a milestone for us. Um, you know, that's kind of conservative right now as well, but I think hitting 10,000 by June really puts us in a good position, uh, to keep moving forward keep making the uh, necessary adjustments and, and add-ons to the site and, uh, you know, just, just making things happen. So um, to quantify it, 10,000 members by June is our goal. And uh, I think that's I think it's definitely doable. Once we start, uh, you know, getting getting to all the events and, and doing all these kinds of things that we're doing and just keeping up with uh, the trends and the times and, and, and the technology, you know, we, we'll be growing and, and we'll be doing some really good things. Now... You guys have, it sounds like you have a great, great, you know, goals for the future. And just because I want to kind of go over some of this too, um, for people that are listening to us tonight or whenever you're listening to this, maybe you're listening to this with your new date that you got off this site, which would be amazing. But, That'd um, be awesome. so how does the, there, I know there's a tier for like the, the pricing and stuff. So how does that work? Well, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought up pricing. You know, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, it's something that we like to address because, um, 
I, I remember when we first announced what the pricing was going to be, um, we got a lot of, well, why is it not nine ninety nine? you know, stuff yeah. like that, which if anybody knows anything about Vince McMahon, something about nine ninety nine is trademarked in some way. It's not possible. <laughs> so, um, you know, we decided, you know, we wanted to keep with our theme and, and keep with wrestling. So we have everything set up in tiers. So you have everything from your lightweight champion <laughs> You know, all the way to your heavyweight champion. And each tier that you go, uh, there's a better value, right? And obviously, the best value is your year subscription. Um, so, I mean, you can do your your Tag Me Date Lightweight Championship, which is your one-month subscription, which is $39.95 plus tax. But then if you do the three-month, which is your middleweight championship, it's $79.99 plus tax. So, you're saving $26.66. You know, it's a good value, $26.66. Um, but if you do the year, it's one forty nine ninety five plus tax. If you do the year, it's twelve dollars and fifty cents a month, and it's cheaper than any other dating site out there. That's not free. So I think we come in at a fair price for everybody, even people that you know money's tight and, and we get it, and we think this is something that for twelve dollars a month. Show me another bill per month that's less, you know, and, and, and you get to find the person you're going to spend the rest of your, your life with. I mean, let's just say that you're spending twelve fifty a month. Then, you know, you're going to buy two tickets now for your for an independent show. And, I mean, you probably don't even have to buy the girl a soda or, or food or anything like that. But, I mean, that's still – you're still coming in under $50 for a woman or a guy, whatever you're into. And – and you know you get to see a show. That's it's an amazing thing. It's a great concept. Um, we here at another wrestling podcast love all these new ideas. You know we talk to people all the time that are either creating art or they're doing something like this. They're doing a video show, a radio show, whatever. And it's really these types of things that are keeping the wrestling industry alive. And um, we love the idea. Uh, we can't wait to see where it goes. And. I'm hoping that when we're going to try to have you guys back on Valentine's Day, we know that you guys are going to be pretty busy and your your dance card is going to be booked up. We'd love to have you guys back. Um, but I'm hoping that we start to hear the success stories rolling in and that someday you guys will be invited to a wedding that was caused because of you guys. And maybe it can be like the match made in heaven with the, the Liz and the macho and the whole the whole deal. So. Uh, we wish you guys nothing but the best of luck, and uh, we, you know, anytime you guys want to come back, we're, we'll, we would be lucky to have you guys back. Well, we appreciate that, John, and, and we we take that. You know, anytime you want us, we're more than willing to come back on. Uh, you have a great thing going. We appreciate your time, Jonathan. Thanks so much. And just uh, real quick before we go, um, you know, we do have our Kickstarter campaign coming up shortly, uh, so please watch out for that. If you want to hop on Kickstarter, look us up. Tagmeadate.com. Uh, any donation would be great. And uh, of course, we're going to keep, you know, pumping out these shows and getting our name out there and, uh, you know, just doing what we have to do for uh, to make everybody fall in love and make wrestling night a, a date night for everyone. And go check it out. Your first month is completely free. You got nothing to lose. Check it out. All right, Jonathan. Well, I guess, hey, uh, we're already taken, so I guess we can't really use Tag Me a Date, but uh, what do you think? I think it's the greatest thing that I've ever heard in my life, and if I wasn't taken, then I would get on there and see if maybe I could find a diva of my own. There you go, guys. Well, be sure to check them out. We're going to have them on a few more episodes. We'll be seeing Tag Me a Date uh, everywhere we go, so 
head on over to tagmedate.com and uh, see if you can find the love of your life who is a professional wrestling fan. Jonathan, what a great show. It was a Thanksgiving episode, uh, only because we said Thanksgiving episode a few times, so that's really what made it a Thanksgiving episode. We, yes. <laughs> we couldn't get the gobbledy, the gobbledygooker. Is that even right? I almost sound like it's racist saying that. The gobbledygooker. No, it's it's the real deal. We'll probably get emails about that, but uh, we couldn't get the gobbledy, Mr. Gobbledy on. That's all I'm going to say, because I can't say the last one. Uh, but he, he was busy at this time right now um, by, you know, forces unknown. Um, but, uh, hey, guys, we hope you had a good time with your family. Hope you're stuffed, uh, and hope you're listening to another wrestling podcast. And, uh, Jonathan, what do you think? I think that I'm thankful once again for all of you. Join us for the next Another Wrestling Podcast for none other than the Tuesday Night Delight, the Shaman of Sexy, the Guru of Greatness, um, and John Morrison. And John Morrison. Thanks for the plug, Jonathan. But, I mean, you know, you don't have to go too much, too highly of me. But, uh, yes, that's right, guys. John Morrison will be with us in December. So stay tuned. Check out anotherwrestlingpodcast.com for more information and future guests. We want to thank you for listening today. We are an independent podcast. Every week we create something for you to listen to, and it's absolutely free. We are a wrestling podcast for wrestling fans because, after all, we are wrestling fans. If you enjoyed the show today, here are some ways you can help us out. First off, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, rate us and give us a good review. Why not? If you're looking for more AWP, then head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com to find out more about upcoming guests and where we will be. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and buy an official AWP shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com slash Another Wrestling Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you. So tune in next week for uh, Another Wrestling Podcast. Another Wrestling Podcast.